Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Popheads and welcome to issue 34 of 3BZ Presents Popcast, aka the Tomcast Popcast. My name is Tom. It's just me today. Sorry about that. Uh, I had a tough schedule today, or I, I, was just, I had a tough schedule this week, so it made it hard to to, to coordinate with Roger or any of the other guys. Uh, but I wanted to get a show out for you guys, and and that's what we're doing today. And if the introduction to that show wasn't a clue enough, I'll tell you what it was in just a minute. But first. If you enjoy this fine podcast and a pack of red apple cigarettes, then please follow the awesome small independent podcast on social media at Tomcast underscore Popcast on Twitter and at the Tomcast underscore Popcast on Instagram. Remember, this is the pop culture podcast that knows what happens when there are clowns to the left of you and jokers to the right. Uh, in case I haven't been subtle enough, this episode is dedicated to the ninth film in the Quentin Tarantino series. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I just saw this movie today, and boy, let me tell you, it is something else. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio as Rick Dalton, Brad Pitt as Cliff Booth, Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate, and a just murderous row of other fine, fine actors like Emile Hirsch, Timothy Oliphant, Julia Butters, Austin Butler, Dakota Fanning, Bruce Dern, Luke Perry's in this movie... The list goes on and on. Al Pacino, Damian Lewis. It's insane how many people are in this movie. Do you know who else is in this movie? Nicholas Hammond is in this movie. Do you know who Nicholas Hammond is? If you don't, he was the first Spider-Man on film. He played Spider-Man in the 1977 series that I believe was on ABC back in the day. Just god-awful costume and everything like that. Not really worth going into. But this movie, it is stacked from top to bottom with just incredible Hollywood talent. And um, I'll, I'll say it right off the bat, I really liked this movie. It was a really, really, really well done, well executed film. Uh, the ending is controversial. I don't know if anyone's paid much attention to that. There are some people that are not stoked about the ending of the film. Uh, I am one of the people who thinks that Tarantino did a fine job of wrestling with the the reality of the situation and the story that he was attempting to tell with his characters that he inserted into a historical situation. So if you don't know the background of the film, uh, it, it's set in 1969 Los Angeles. Um, uh, TV star Rick Dalton and his, uh, his uh, longtime stunt double Cliff Booth are kind of working their way in and out of Los Angeles trying to, uh, to you know, make a career out of out of Hollywood. You know, uh, DiCaprio's character, uh, Dalton, is his, his star's kind of waning a bit, but he's still trying to make it in Hollywood. And uh, his buddy Brad Pitt is along for the ride, so why not? Uh, 
But the backdrop of the film is set against real-life events, real-life characters, the, specifically the murder of, of Sharon Tate and, and her friends at the hands of the Manson family. You know, these, these are real things that happened. And so a lot of people have been concerned how Tarantino would, would, would incorporate all of this to tell, you know, a, a very Quentin Tarantino-esque movie with the backdrop of really, I mean, some, some very brutal uh, and murder, br- brutal murders that happened to, you know, real people and are still, uh, it, it's still a story today. I mean, people still talk about Charles Manson and, and what happened. Uh, very, very, it hasn't, let's, let's put it this way, it hasn't gone out of the spotlight necessarily, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that people still think about. I mean, a, a lot of people, this happened in, in their in their lifetimes, so it's all very relevant to them. This isn't like when uh, Tarantino in Inglorious Bastards changed the end of World War II by just blowing 11 billion holes into Adolf Hitler. I don't think people, as many people were, were in, in an uproar about that as uh, some some folks are about this particular ending of the film. Uh, and again, I'm not... Uh, I guess that's a mild spoiler because it's it like Tarantino is known to do. He kind of warps history around to tell his story, and so I guess I'm gonna have to hit the spoiler alarm because uh, it's gonna be impossible to talk about this film without spoiling it to a certain degree. I'm not gonna try and give away too many things, but I, I will probably end up giving away something about the film. So uh, let me hit that alarm and make sure we all know uh, that things are gonna get a little crazy and a little hairy up in here. Before diving further into the plot and the story of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I do think it's, uh, I wanted to kind of share with everybody the, the importance and, and uh, I guess to, to a certain extent, the reverence that I have for the films of Quentin Tarantino. These were these, the early movies of Tarantino in particular um, changed a lot of my perceptions about what movies could be and what movies could do. You know, uh, Quentin Tarantino is, is definitely a filmmaker who has elevated the medium of, of film, in my opinion. And a lot of people, you know, and maybe people older than myself disagree with that because they don't care for his uh, use of violence, which is, I suppose is a fair assessment. Uh, but for people of my generation, I think we, we connect with that violence in a way because that's the kind of Hollywood that we grew up in where violence was for lack of a better word, uh, glorified. And, and so we, we are able to appreciate the violence and the, the bloody goriness that, that Tarantino tends to bring to his films. Uh, you know, I was, I was a tad on the young side still when, when Reservoir Dogs first came out. Uh, but when Pulp Fiction came out in theaters, that was a movie that uh, it made a lasting impression. And it was the first time I had gone to see a movie in the theaters uh, repeatedly. I saw it uh, five times in the movie theaters, and uh, it was just, it was transformative. The way that the story was told visually was something that, like I had never seen before, and the story itself was like something I had never seen before. You know, the, the, the disjointed storytelling, you know, he wasn't the first person to do disjointed storytelling, but the way in which he told the story through different chapters told in different orders uh, made for a, a unique film-going experience, and one where multiple viewings uh, really kind of paid off as far as as your experience in the theaters went, because it seemed like every time I would go, I would pay more attention and pick up new things that I had missed before the first time around. And 
that's always been something that Tarantino has done extremely well is to put little bits of things in there uh, that you maybe don't catch on the first time, but you pick them up later and you, and you start to realize, oh man, look, he's talking about this. He's connecting this to that. Or he, or even he's just making reference to something that you didn't think about at first. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's referencing something that's not even in this film. Um, Tarantino has always been a really smart, savvy screenwriter uh, and his direction has always been a, uh, a, a unique and singular vision. So uh, all of his films, you know, we, we, we could sit around and do a ranking of all of his films, but it's it would be a completely subjective and be kind of uh, pointless because I think they're all great on their own individual merits. And again, the nice thing about Tarantino is for the pretty much for the bulk of his career. I mean, all of his films are distinctly different too. You know, there's there's uh, martial arts movies, there's westerns, there are war movies, and there's uh, you know obviously the the earlier movies, which is like a little bit more of a, a California crime movies. You know, I mean, D- Tarantino is just in my opinion, is is a legend. And um, he has brought a lot of filmmaking enjoyment, film film-going experience enjoyment, I should say, uh, into my life. And again, they, I don't think he lets, he drops the ball on this movie at all. It's, it's again, Tarantino's, this is very different from a lot of his films. Don't go into this expecting a lot of like hyper-violence right off the bat. You kind of have to work to get to where the movie kind of feels more like a Tarantino film because it, it this is a methodically paced and delicately balanced movie. It is very much the story of of Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth, these two characters who they may be anagrams for for uh, other actors of their of the of the actual time, but they are fictional characters. Um, they are deeply flawed characters, uh, but they they have a genuine friendship for each other, a genuine affection for each other. And uh, that in DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are immensely watchable in, in this movie. I think you'll really enjoy just watching them interact with each other, interact with the, with the world around them, and it's it's they're, they're just fun to watch. The the back, again, like I said, the backdrop of the story is is Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate, and the backdrop of her burgeoning film career, and and how as an audience we know the story of Sharon Tate, at least we should know the story of Sharon Tate going into the, into the, into the picture that it's going to end not well for her and her friends at the hands of the Manson family. But I, again, I think Tarantino walked a really fine line between, uh, honoring the memory of Sharon Tate and what she could have been against what the reality of the situation was. And, uh, you know, they don't, he doesn't play it for, he doesn't play it for laughs. He doesn't play it, um, in in a, in a disrespectful manner at all to me at least I did not it did not rub me that way at all. Um, I guess the best way to put this again I don't want to spoil too much about the picture because I the, the movie is new it's only been out for about gosh less than a week now. So trying to talk about it and and not give away everything in it is is a little challenging. You know, we've done this on other podcasts where I try to go spoiler free and it's tricky. It's real tricky. I'm giving you more here as far as spoilers go, but I still want to, I still want to save as much as I can of the picture. Uh, some of my favorite aspects of this movie are two two aspects in particular that I really really loved and uh, I think the actors in particular were really able to sink their teeth into were the movies within the movie or the, or the shows that were within the movie. You know, when you're seeing Leonardo DiCaprio's Dalton character acting on a TV pilot or shooting 
a pilot or shooting a, a scene for a TV show or doing a movie thing, or they're flashing back to his 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 film career that sort of spiraled out of control after he thought he was going to be the next big hotshot movie star. Um, watching the way that those are handled is is really great because it's it 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 harkens back to a sort of B level cinema that was. Uh, not known as B-level cinema at the time. I mean, like there, you know, DiCaprio's character, Dalton, is is a big star on its on a TV show, a, a gun west, a, a gunsmoke esque show uh, called uh, Oh God, what was the name? Bounty Law, I think it was. And he 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 basically like sabotages the show because he decides he's going to become the next big movie star. His film career doesn't go as well. He basically stars in. In B movies, for for you know, uh, lack of a better word, like he never becomes like the big A list celebrity that he thinks he's going to become, and the film follows his journeys as he as he tries to keep his star high enough as a as a working actor in Hollywood, which I think we've all seen enough stories where we know just how hard that can be. Cliff Booth, his his stunt double and his his best friend, is is played by Brad Pitt. And he's on the bit of, of, of the outside of Hollywood as well. He's no longer really working as a stuntman. There was an incident. We get to see the incident in the film. And there's also a prior incident that has tainted his reputation irreparably in the hand, in the in the eyes of most uh, of in the, in the eyes of most Hollywood people as well. And it's it's all handled very very well. And you know you you like the characters, but you know they're they're damaged, they're broken, they're flawed. We don't necessarily know all the truth about all of them either. Particularly Brad Pitt's character, you know, there's a lot of allegations against his character, but we don't know if anything. We don't know necessarily that there's truth to the allegations about his character, but you know you can make a, a decent enough assumption, I suppose. Where the where the film really shines in a lot of areas is the complete transformation of of a 2018. Hollywood, Los Angeles, where they filmed this movie into it, it, they, it's like they sucked it into a time warp and uh, they, they managed to film 1969 because it's unbelievable the, the job they did in recreating things that we have seen on old TV shows or old films that, are, that were filmed in those eras and how uh, Tarantino brings it back to life his, his reverence for that kind of end of the golden age of television is uh, just he, he captures it so wonderfully, so beautifully. He brings it so, to life so vividly. Uh, I, I, there's, a, there's a scene in particular where uh, all the, the neon signs around Hollywood Boulevard begin to light up. And it just, it just, it's one of those scenes that just kind of like captures your, your attention. And, and, and you're, just, you're blown away by, A, the, the nostalgia factor, because like there's, there are several logos that you recognize. But just like the, the whole neon lighting thing. You know, it's it's a bit of a bygone thing nowadays, and and to see that kind of brought back with such, uh, again, such reverence is is really uh, it's 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 film magic. I mean, they're able to, like I said, the the movie is almost a time warp. To know that they filmed this movie in 2018 Los Angeles and made almost pretty much every shot in that film looks like it's from 1969 is unfreaking believable. It's it's a it's it's a masterwork of of filmmaking right there. The, who, the, all the all the production people who are involved, who who helped bring 1969 Hollywood back to life, uh, deserve immense credit and attention uh, because it was stunning to look at. I mean, it, like I said, stunning to look at. Another element of the film that I was a really big fan of was, and this this won't come as a surprise to most Tarantino uh, devotees, uh, his use of music in in film has always been 
exceptional and is something he's always paid attention to. You know, he writes his scripts with 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 the, with the actual music in mind that he wants for the scenes. Uh, I suspect he had did much the same thing with this one, with with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But the 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 scope to which he goes to incorporate the music is. Um, it's so fantastic from, from just scenes of, 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 of various characters, uh, putting on records to the scenes where, 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 where Cliff and, and, and Dalton are just driving through the city with the radio on, uh, the, the, the incorporation of the radio elements to, to the story, I think are some of the most unique, you know, that was something that Tarantino had kind of sort of done. Uh, with, with with Reservoir Dogs, when he had Stephen Wright doing the kind of like the bumpers between the songs and whatnot, like the introducing of certain things and make, making it sound like they actually had a, had a radio, the KBLE radio station going on. These are actual legit sound clips from radio stations in 1969, Los Angeles. Uh, and it adds a, a, just another layer of the realism and another, another uh, a, a just detail to bringing this, this world of, of, again, this goes golden, the end of the golden age of Hollywood to life. Uh, just beautifully, the way the way it's done is ah, just so impressive, and and um, I was in awe of it. The you know the, the the musical selections are fantastic as usual with a Tarantino picture, but incorporating like the different radio advertisements, the different little uh, bumps from the hosts to uh, during the during the credits. A, a spoiler here: they they play a Batman promotion. You know, Adam West and Burt Ward doing a radio promotion in 1969. Uh, they're, they're giving away a, a high definition TV, or not a high definition TV set, but a, a you know, a I don't know whatever what hell a t- the big fancy TVs worth of time, like a Panasonic, Panatronic, blah blah blah. You know, it's one of those big giant hubble hubble TVs with like the wooden t- entertainment center all around it, kind of thing. It's it's a wonderful ode to to old timey Hollywood, a, a, a place that. Obviously, Tarantino holds in high regard and high esteem, and uh, he brings it to life in in a really remarkable way. Yeah, the film also gives Tarantino a chance to play a lot with with uh, his passions, I suppose is the best way to put it. You know, uh, anybody who's watched a Tarantino film knows uh, his love of certain things, certain genres of, of Hollywood, certain styles of Hollywood. You know, he gets to throw in, uh, you know, uh, uh, he makes a big deal about spaghetti westerns and his love of those. Martial arts movies have a part in this film. He really gets to sink his teeth into, into a lot of his passions, and I think that's that is extremely well done from start to finish across the film. So I guess now I want to get into the end of the film. What what Tarantino's done up to this point is you have Sharon Tate and her relationship with with other actors, other celebrities of the time, and you see the kind of world in which they're living in, and that is the backdrop in which Rick and Cliff live in. So you have this interesting juxtaposition in the background of Sharon Tate while you have in the foreground you have Rick and Cliff and their adventures. This, the movie is, becomes a bit of a what-if because you have these historical events playing out in the background of the film, but you have these new characters who aren't real, who aren't historical in any sense of the word. And they are sort of like this... Uh, this this sort of, uh, I guess, wild card would be the best thing to be put in. It's, it's like Tarantino looks at history and he's like, what if, I, what if this wild card had been thrown in to these historical events? How would that have played out with these two characters in particular existing as the next-door neighbor of Sharon Tate at the time of the Manson family murders? 
and that's where history in Tarantino's film changes. And um, again, it's vastly entertaining. DiCaprio's character basically stops the murder of, of Sharon Tate before it even before it even gets initiated because um, the Manson family in in their their in their junk up beater car with a bu- busted muffler uh, annoy him sitting outside of his house you know with with their car making a bunch of racket at midnight while he's trying to make margaritas in his kitchen and he goes out and and has a confrontation with the uh, with with the with the Manson family killers the people who are about to kill Sharon Tate and as as he sort of chases them off of his street off of, off of the off of the premises the it, everything changes and they decide they're going to go and kill him and <laughs> again I won't I don't want to say how it plays out uh, because again, the movie is very, very new. I want you to go see it. It's really, really good. But this is when the movie becomes completely Tarantino-esque. The, the last 20, 20 to thirty minutes of the movie are it's 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 Tarantino doing what Tarantino does. And yes, it's revisionist history, like he's done in uh, Django Unchained, like he's done in Inglorious Bastards. But this one is, like I said, it's it's tempered, it's measured, it's not. I don't feel it to be disrespectful to the memory of Sharon Tate and those who were who were murdered that night, or or murdered any by disrespectful to anyone who was murdered by the Manson family at um in the in the, those horrible crimes that they committed, um, but it's in the title. It the title is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So from the very beginning, we may not think because we know what a Tarantino movie is. We may think we know what he means by that. Like he's paying tribute to. Uh, to the work of, of, of uh, Sergio Leone with Once Upon a Time in the West, Once Upon a Time in America. No, no, no. This is Once Upon a Time fairy tale, fairy tale style. And I, th- I think that's an important distinguish- distinguishing element to the film to know. It is Tarantino telling a Hollywood fairy tale where, you know, despite the, the, tra- the, the sad and tragic reality that happened, he imagines a world in which the characters get a happy ending, in which Sharon Tate gets a happy ending, her friends get a happy ending. Um, and, and fairy tale is the best way I can put it, because some people seem to be bumping up against that and having a real hard time, because that's not what happened, that's not the way it played out. Uh, you know, if you, if you have a problem with it, I, I, I don't really have an argument to make that, that will change your mind, uh, other than uh, the fact that I think Tarantino has made a really excellent film, and... Uh, Take it for what it is. It, it's not you know nothing that we do can can undo what the Manson family did, and um, you know perhaps there's a bit of a not I don't know if it's a catharsis for audiences, but to see what happens to the killers in this partic- in in this picture does bring a certain amount of joy to to to, to these uh, deranged hippies. Serial killer scumbag people, um, and again, I probably use a lot of words incorrectly there because I don't think they're serial killers. But the, and I probably disparage hippies at the same time. But they, again, these members of the Manson family, definitely deranged. I think we can all agree on that. And and their comeuppance in this picture is uh, worth the ticket price alone, in my opinion. There there's a lot of layers to the film that I would I, I've I've considered going into because there is a certain. Um, Again, I mentioned the juxtaposition of of Sharon Tate and her friends who are leading kind of like the the idealized, the the dream 
Hollywood life. You're you're going to parties at the Playboy Mansion. You're living that incredible Hollywood lifestyle, and then you you it's just supposed, particularly in, in Cliff's case where he's kind of like the, like the struggling stuntman trying to find you know money, trying to find jobs. He's basically uh, Rick Dalton's chauffeur and gopher guy out of necessity. Like he he basically runs errands and is paid by Rick to to do his 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 kind of menial tasks because that's all he can get right now and so that that kind of have and the have not story is also juxtaposed against the film uh, I think there's more to dive into in, in regards to exploring those elements of the picture but I don't want to do that right now um, that's some I think those are points that would very that would be best it's a conversation best served for when I can have a conversation with somebody else in the room with me uh, there, there's a lot of layers unpack in, in the picture, and and um, you know, I'm I'm not even going deep into the Manson family stuff because it's it's um, it's tricky. It's tricky to want to talk about the Manson family in any kind of way that that um, might show them in any kind of light other than a bad one because that's the light they deserve to be shown in. And I think Tarantino was aware of that too. There, there is a good scene with, with, where, where Cliff, a.k.a. Brad Pitt, uh, goes to the Spawn Ranch where the Manson family is holed up and where their kind of like cult-like commune is, is based out of. And it's a, it's a creepy, intense, weird scene. Um, and if it wasn't for kind of... If, if it wasn't for, this, for the bravado that Cliff Booth, a.k.a. Brad Pitt, brings to the scene, I think we all would have been a lot more terrified uh, 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 of the scene uh, in particular because th- these... The people in the Manson family were uh, different, unhinged, not not well, mentally speaking. And uh, that's a great intense scene, really well played out, a lot of good acting in there. And uh, again, I'm not going to go into too many specifics because I'd love for everybody to go and see it and, and, and kind of experience all these things on their own. You know, whether you're a fan of Tarantino's or not, I think this is a good picture. But there is there is a certain element to this picture that I think will be hard for audiences who aren't super familiar with not only the, the passions of Quentin Tarantino, but uh, th- maybe they don't know their Hollywood history very well, you know? Uh, I do feel like there is a bit of a, 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 or a certain percentage of people who will kind of butt up against it and be like, I don't know what that means, or I don't know what they're talking about, or I don't understand why this is like this. So for cinephiles, uh, or anybody who grew up in my time, like all, a lot of my friends, we all grew up watching the same movies. I think we will connect with a lot of the material that's in, that, in, the, in, the, in the picture. Whether younger audiences or audiences are that, that just don't know film history as well, it, there might be some things in there that are, that are a bit of a problem to, to, to process and kind of comprehend the, the way in which Tarantino is trying to tell a story through through these different reference points. Um, again, I'm hoping to find more people like that and so I can have a conversation with them and see if I'm maybe just projecting something on that or or, or not. I don't know. <laughs> again, it, it, but the ninth film by Quentin Tarantino is very, 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 very good. And I, I'm really looking forward to watching it again. A lot of Quentin Tarantino's regular actors uh, make appearances in this film. Like I said, it's the cast is littered from top to bottom with uh, A-listers, B-listers, uh, the whole thing. I mean, the whole shebang. A lot of his, of, of Quentin's regulars make appearances in the film as well. 
uh, I think you're going to have a good time watching this movie. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Pritt, and, uh, Pritt. Pitt and DiCaprio are, are a fantastic duo. They, they chew scenery. Their dialogue with each other is fantastic. The dialogue with a Quentin Tarantino movie is not, uh, a bit of a sh- is not anything shocking, but uh, having his lines delivered by actors like Pitt and DiCaprio is always impressive. Uh, I think this is the second or third time Pitt's been in a, in, a, in a Tarantino flick, and I think it's the same for DiCaprio, too. Might be might be second. I can't remember if he cameoed anything else. But go see the film, Tarantino's ninth film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It is a winner. Uh, it's got a bit of a runtime, about two and a half hours or so, so make sure you use the bathroom first. Um, there are probably opportunities to, to run to the bathroom, but make sure you do it before the two-hour mark because once you get into that two-hour mark, uh, you're, you're not going to want to leave because things are about to start happening fast and furious, and the, and the, and the story really starts to, starts to uh, pick up its pace. So uh, this is this is this. I think I'm going to wrap it up here, and um, I hope you've enjoyed this truncated, abbreviated review of Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I think we'll have to give it. Uh, uh, I'm, only, I'm the only one here, so I, I'm going to give it uh, nine toms. How's that sound? Nine, nine, nine and a half Tom. No, not. We'll stick with nine Toms. We'll we'll see if we can change the rating after that, or, or you know maybe one, on another viewing or two. But this is this one's a winner. Definitely go check it out. Uh, and uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, th- this is a this 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 small independent podcast does not exist without the awesome listeners like you guys. So if you get a chance, please write us a five star review. Small podcasts like this can easily get lost in the shuffle. And those reviews go a long way to getting the word out, word out about our fun little show. So just go into the iTunes, the Stitcher, the whatevers, you know, wherever you're, wherever you're getting your podcast from, and uh, give us that five-star review if you don't mind. Again, you can follow the show at TomCast underscore podcast on Twitter and at the TomCast underscore podcast on Instagram. Uh, thank you for listening. We're going to be back real soon. Roger's going to be back with me probably next week. I think that's the plan. Uh, until then, ciao, babes. What do they call a Big Mac? Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call it Le Big Mac. Le Big Mac. <laughs> what do they call a Whopper? I don't know. I didn't go on a Burger King. We're not going to be fucking sunk this year! We're the Stanley Cup champions!